0: Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. How's everybody doing this morning? Some wonderful, and other people, not not a lot of response, but some good, good response. Um, I have the honor of telling you that next week we're going to have a special kind of visitation from... Um, visitation, that sounds like Jesus is coming back, doesn't it? Angels, we're having angels next week now. Um, Piercing Word is an organization out of Lancaster. It's a group of professional actors, and they do theatrical kind of... Um, enactments of scripture they speak straight from the scripture it's all memorized just the word nothing else but the word and yet they act out the word and so I heard about this organization about a year ago from one of our overseers Keith Yoder and I thought oh that'd be great to have in so I called him like four to six weeks ago and I said I talked to Aaron he's the executive director really great guy and he says we'd love to come to Grace Fellowship Church he said we're working on a brand new one that we would be bringing for the first time anywhere and I said what's that about he said biblical stewardship All right, well, what do you know about that? That's what we're teaching on. He said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, no. So next week, they'll be with us at both services. So please make a point to come and see these folks. I think you're going to be really blessed by that. And I think, too, they help us understand how to better memorize and chew on the Word of God. So that would be very helpful to all of us as well. So... If you've been with us, how many people weren't here last week? Just by show of hands. Let's take a little read on that. Okay, same as the first service, quite a few. So glad you're here. Um, Do a little brief review. Last week, we talked about this whole cycle of keeping, this whole idea that in our culture and in the sinfulness of our souls, we want to keep everything. We want to hold on to stuff. We want to hoard it. We want to kind of get more and more money, more and more stuff. And that's the way the culture goes. And that when we have this cycle of keeping, the scripture is very clear. We don't receive the blessing the Lord would have for us unless we're reflecting his heart. Remember, the root word of miserable is the word miser, miser. So if you want to become miserable, just keep practicing the whole keeping mentality. But in order to get over here to give where we receive great blessing, we have to exercise faith. We have to take risks. That means we trust God in such a way that we take steps that make us feel uncomfortable. Say this after me. If nothing changes, nothing changes. nothing changes. So the point is, if nothing changes in you, then nothing is going to change in the way that you live. Now, this is true in every area of life for your relationships. If you're having problems in relationships, I would say it takes two people to make it work, but one to change it. Why? Because if you are an agent for the Lord, you are an agent of life change. That means God is calling you to enact faith, to trust him on a greater level. And in this area of giving, I tell you, this is a very, very difficult thing to do. The Word of God is very clear. The Word of God tells us there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives, our discipleship, and the way that we think about and handle God's money and material resources. Listen to these words from 1 Timothy 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm going to quote a proverb here because it's one of my favorite proverbs. I hope I can get it right because I haven't thought about it for a long time. But the Lord plants his word in your heart, right? Better is little with happiness than much with strife. Right? Better is little with happiness than much with strife. You know, many people who talk about their early days of marriage go, you know, we were far happier when we had nothing isn't that apartment, and we didn't hardly have anything. We had like, you know, four forks and a pot. And, and you know what? But we had each other, and we had the Lord. And then somehow, we got consumed by stuff. So, listen, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Anybody come into the world with money in your hand? No, that would be bizarre. But, but if we had food or clothing, we will be content with that. Listen, those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I mean, do you hear these words? Foolish, harmful, ruin, destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I want you to know something. In this culture, the prevailing attitude is a love for money and stuff. So if you're in this culture and you don't have a love for money and stuff, you stand out like a star. I pray that's true about you. But here's the truth. Sometimes it's not true about me. I get sucked in. But listen to what verse 11 says. But you, people of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. See, folks, it's not about money. It's about the love of God. It's about the heart of the Father. It's about asking the question, God, what has my heart this series is about fleeing from the idolatrous and materialistic ways of this world and this culture and choosing to follow Jesus and fighting the good fight of faith. So this whole idea of moving from one posture to the other is what God is asking us to embrace in him. Faith needs to be exercised. Now last week, I talked about the tithing principle, not the law. Okay, the principle is this, if you really want to trust God to give generously, if you really want to get started in this, the tithe or a tenth of your income is a place to start. It's not a ceiling, it's a starting place. Now for some of us, we go, that's crazy, I mean a tenth of my income, I understand that, I really do personally, I do. But once you start to trust God in this way, you start to get giddy about giving, you start experiencing the joy that there is and understanding that this is all God's anyway. And when you get to participate in what Jesus is doing, the joy is amazing. Why? Because if you're in Christ, you have the heart of God. And you see, when you respond to Jesus in that way, your heart kind of wells up the scripture says here in Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. That sounds like a party to me. Anybody with me? Yeah. Anybody like, eh. <laughs> you know, there was a time in the scripture when God's people gave so much, Moses had to tell them to stop giving. This is in Exodus 36, verses 2 through 7. You can read it, but I'm going to read through it here. Moses accepted free will offerings. That's above the tithe for the Hebrew. Remember, the tithe for the Hebrew was not 10%. It really was between 23 and 30%. So if you were a Hebrew, a God-fearing Hebrew, and you gave your tithe, you gave multiple tithes, and that was about 23% of your income, and then you had free will offerings that were over top of that, I think the tithe is a hard thing. Whew. So Moses says, bring your freewill offerings for the construction of the sanctuary. This is in Exodus 36. So listen, the people were so moved to give to God that the floodgates of heaven did open and pour out so much blessing that Moses had to tell them to stop giving. Listen, Exodus 36, verse 2 through 7. Then Moses summoned every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded to them. So Moses gave an order, and then he sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering to the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing in more because what they already had was more than enough to do the work. Can you imagine in this culture anybody ever saying, stop giving, you're giving too much? You ever imagine that? How can this happen? How can it happen that God's people would be so moved with love him to give to him more than what is needed? I'll tell you how. It's only when God's people see what God is doing and their hearts are compelled with love to join him in what he's doing with generosity and cheerfulness to join him in what he's doing because Jesus is about the business of changing people's lives and setting captives free and there is nothing more important for us to dedicate our lives to in light of what Jesus has done for us. You know, what Grace, we have some God-sized dreams here of our own as a church family. If you can take out that booklet that you received on the way, and if you did not get a booklet, please raise your hand, and the ushers will be happy to get you one. If we we have any ushers in here? Oh, there we go. Good, Chris. Great, thank you. Keep your hand up, please, so they can see you and make sure you get one of these brochures. So we're, we're giving this to you in a way of having an of opportunity to see some of what God is doing through the Dream Center. Now, I want you to know something. This doesn't even include what God is doing through Grace Fellowship Church. We are welded together, Grace and the Dream Center. The Dream Center is a subsidiary of Grace, so we're really one. But we're not talking about Grace Kids in here. We're not talking about Awaken, Men and Women's Ministry, Life Recovery, Stephen Ministry. None of that's in here. This is just the Dream Center. And God is touching thousands of lives every month. His glory through the Dream Center. So you can page through, and you can kind of take a look and see how things are laid out. Our communications team, Sarah Bothwell, did a great job with this, but I want you to turn to the last two pages. The last two pages, right here. So remember, the objective of the Dream Center is to be used by God to meet a need in order to build a relationship so that others would come to know the love of God. It's real simple. We'll meet a need so we can build a relationship So others can be introduced to the love that is in the Father's heart for them. So what we're dreaming about here is expanding the harvest. Because first of all, in that video, it didn't quite even do the harvest justice in the sense that I go in there sometimes and there's not room to move. It is bursting at the seams. And we're not just giving people food. We're loving them into the kingdom. Okay, so we want to knock that wall out and we want to expand that. And you'll see it over there, proposed um, harvest expansion in the center here. We also want to see a Christ-centered counseling um, back in here. And this is in him Christian wellness. It's going to be um, practicing ways to trust God in healing people emotionally and otherwise. So we're really excited about that. Of course, we have a workshop proposed for the back here where we'll be training in the vocations and then the senior residential living that can house elderly people here free of charge for everybody who needs it to be. Now, look again, this would be only by the grace of God if we would see these dreams come to reality. But can I tell you something? This will cost about $2.8 million to do this. Can you do this after me? Can you go, (gasps) Anybody have $2.8 million they want to put down? I'll take you out to lunch right now. Panera Bread. So, 2.8 million dollars sounds a lot like a lot to people. Can I tell you something? do want you look at me. You're sitting in a miracle right now. We never thought that this was ever possible. I mean, we we launched this thing like 11 years ago by the grace of God, and we're sitting in a school, and we're just, oh my gosh, there's a couple hundred people here, and we're like, this is crazy. And then we start putting babies in cubicles because we have nowhere to put them. And we go, we have a beautiful problem. We can't be having babies in a place that you're supposed to put a violin. It's a cubby. So we started trusting the Lord to lead us. And then God opened doors here. This place had been locked up for 10, 15 years. It was just sitting empty. You realize God was saving it for you? So you'd have a seat. And you could come and understand and experience the grace of God in a family. And so... We, we moved in here. and We thought, we, oh, my gosh, Jesus is doing crazy. I think we were renting. And then I get a call from the landlord's office. He says, uh, Pastor Jeff, would you like to exercise your first uh, right of refusal? I said, why? What's going on? Because I knew that language in the contract meant that if somebody wanted to buy the shopping center, we had first dibs. He said, well, we have a significant offer on the shopping center. Somebody offered us $2 million. We're going to sell it. And I went, well, we want to buy it, but we don't have any money. He said, She said, well, I don't think that's going to work. And so I, it was miracle after miracle after miracle, but I can tell you, Alan Urban and I, one of our elders, drove up to York one day, sat in an attorney's office and signed papers, we came out stunned, sitting in the car at the, at the, at the, right there at the curb, and I think we sat in silence for 10 seconds, and Alan goes, did we just buy a shopping center? I said, I, I think we did. And we knew God was doing crazy stuff. You are sitting in a miracle. So $2.8 million sounds like a lot of money to us. It is a lot of money to us, but to God, that is just pocket change, right? So last week I showed you this picture, and it's our potential. Now, I'm not saying this in any way to bring about guilt more than anything. I'm just saying, hey, join us in what God's doing because we're excited about this. There's 722 giving units at Grace, which means families or individuals that give. And and when we look at the average demographic for this area, an average salary for Southern York County is about $60,000 annually. That's for a family. And so down in Maryland, it goes up a whole lot. But if you take that $60,000 and you multiply it by 722 for a tithe, $6,000, a tenth, that amount is $4,332,000. Can I tell you the difference between our current giving and what we could be experiencing is the exact amount of money in one year that we could knock this thing out for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. So some of us are excited. We're like, I'm not clapping for that one. (laughs) So all I'm saying is that we want you to trust God to guide you in your giving. Tithing is a principle. It's not a law. It's not going to change the way that God loves you. God's love for you is not based on anything you've done, more or less anything you haven't done. It's based on what Jesus did for you on the cross. you got to get that in your heart and in your head. Your giving is a response to his grace. Your giving is an overflow of your love back to him. And that's the way that we, we live together in this. So we have a special offering in two weeks, February 16th. Well, we're asking you to bring a first fruits offering to God, that could be one of two things. It could be a one-time over-and-above gift. It could be the beginning of you starting a new giving trend, and it can be both. For the Smith family, it's both. And can I tell you, Tracy and I have been stretched more in this area in the last couple months as I've been preparing for this. She comes to me. She says, we're doing what? I think we're going to do that. She's like, yeah, do it anyway. We're just going to waste it. And we've been getting giddy for giving, like in crazy ways. So I just want you to understand, this is what we're inviting you to, and we're very excited that God can do amazing things through us. So we're going to continue today in our series um, that we've been in, and we're going to talk about some of the ways to trust God to break free from the bondage of this idolatrous and materialistic culture. Would you be kind enough to join me as I pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you've entrusted to us. We seek your will concerning all of your resource. And we ask now that you would break the chains that bind us to the things of this world. That we would be free and that you would be more clearly glorified in our midst. We ask now for a hedge of protection over our hearts and our minds. Protect us from the deceptions of the evil one, for they are many in this area. Help us only to hear your voice and to trust and obey for there is simply no better way to be happy in you lord we thank you for your love for us we pray this all in jesus precious name amen, amen. Well, if you want to look to your bulletin you'll see inside the front cover of the bulletin not the handout not the dream center for sure, but your bulletin um, the keys and remember we're signing off on these together um and the 16th and the 23rd on a big kind of thing that's going to go on the wall remember we did the peacemakers pledge so we declared that we are a peacemaking church. And through this one, we are declaring that we are a generous church. When you sign that, you're not committing to giving any amount at all. All you're doing is committing to these principles that are from God's word. And the first one is this. God owns everything. Can you say that after me? God owns everything. We're just his money managers. The scripture says the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything you own, you are going to leave behind. It's just on loan to you. The question is, what will you do with it? But God owns it all. Key two, our hearts always go where we put God's money. Can you say that with me? Our hearts always go where we put God's money. What does that mean? That means wherever you put God's money, your affection is going to become clear for that. So if you put a lot of money into the stock market, you are going to pay a lot of attention to the stock market. Why? You're vested. If you put a lot of money into something else, cars, your heart and your affection is going to be for cars. But if you put God's money into the kingdom, your heart and your affection is going to follow for the Lord. Key three, heaven and the new earth, not our present one, is our home. Can you say this? I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. I'm not home yet. Our citizenship is heaven. So we're to live as this, this place is just passing through here. Have to accumulate all this stuff. It would be silly to go on a one-month journey to somewhere else in the world and furnish your entire hotel room with expensive goods. It'd be crazy. Why? Because it's just temporary. This place is just temporary. Key four, we should live not for the dot, that's this life, but for the line that goes on for eternity. We should invest God's resources in things that are eternal, primarily people's souls. So today, we talk about key five. Giving is the only antidote to the idolatry and bondage of materialism. Listen to this verse from 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world. By the way, that's us. I made that point in week 1 and 2. If you are in this auditorium, you are rich. Now, some of you are going, no, I'm not. Go back and listen to the message. You'll know you're rich. In comparison to the rest of the world, we are very, very, very affluent Command those who are rich in this present world to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will take hold of the life that is truly life. What is God saying here? He says, okay, who's he talking to? The rich, that's us. What's he telling us? He's saying, give generously for the cause of my kingdom. Why is he telling us to give? Because he wants us to have life and life abundantly. He wants us to have what's truly life, not what is the false life. Now listen to what I'm saying here. First and foremost, giving is the good life. Say that after me. Giving is the good life. But here's what you need to understand. There is a life that is offered you here that is not truly life. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. But Jesus says, I have come that you have life and life abundantly. I want you to have the life that is truly life. And for so many of us, the great American dream has turned into the great American nightmare. Now look, I'm not saying that I'm against free enterprise. I actually love the way our country is structured in that way. I think our founding mothers and fathers, so many of them loved God passionately. And they put in place a system that would allow for business to grow and people to flourish. But can I tell you something that was in their hearts? It's a word called philanthropy. If you go back and look at any of our founding mothers and fathers, you will know in their hearts that they saw an increase in their income as an opportunity to give more away. And can I tell you something? They didn't see the government as the social justice mechanism in the culture. You know what they saw as the social justice arm? Us the church. A lot of people think, oh, people are hungry. They'll get on food stamps. No, they're supposed to come to the church of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? So that we can give them food and give them food that lasts forever. We can help lead them and introduce them to Jesus. That's what the church's job is called to do. But our founding fathers and mothers, they held philanthropy and giving in high regard. Why? They did not want to become engrossed with their stuff, and they did not want to be married to money and stuff. Now, some were, but the prevailing attitude was, that's not a good thing. I want you to listen to some of these statistics, and I want you to keep in mind that I've done my research on these. Some of them sound outlandish, but they're true. You know how many items the average American household contains? Three hundred thousand items. Now, some of you are going, "That's impossible." Okay, go home, open your junk drawer, and start counting. <laughs> then go from there to your closet and start pulling out item after. I did this in my home this week because I didn't believe that statistic. Some of you will find thousands of things in your junk drawers. Some of you will go into your basement. I think I got 100000 in my basement. The average size of the American home has tripled in the last 50 years. 50 years ago, on average, families and people lived in one-third of the space that we now live in. We have doubled our living space. I mean, tripled our living space. The fastest-growing segment of American commercial real estate is rental off-site mini-storage. I'm serious. The U.S. has over 50,000 storage facilities, more than five times the number of Starbucks. There's a Starbucks around every corner, is there not? And yet there are five times more rental off-site mini storage facilities. I'm not talking units. I'm talking facilities than there are Starbucks. There is currently 7.3 square feet of storage space for every man, woman, and child in the whole of the nation. Listen to me. We could take every man, child, and woman in the entire nation and put them under the roof of an existing mini self-storage facility. And we would all be standing under these roofs at the same time. The average 10-year-old owns 238 toys and plays only with 12. And that would be the box included. (laughs) Only 3.1 of the world's children live in America, only 3.1% but they own 40% of the toys globally. The average American woman owns 30 outfits, one for every day of the month. In 1930, the average woman owned only nine. The average American family spends over $2,000 a year on clothing while throwing away 65 pounds of good clothes. Nearly half of all American households don't save any money at all Reports indicate that we consume twice as many goods as we did 50 years ago. Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches, $100 billion on shoes, jewelry, and watches, than they do on higher education. Shopping malls outnumber schools. 93% of teenage girls rank shopping as their all-time favorite pastime. The average American woman spends eight years of her life shopping Over the course of your lifetime, we will each spend on average 3,680 hours or 153 days searching for misplaced items. Why? Because you have 300,000 of them. (laughs) Research shows that you lose up to nine items per day. I lost nine just this morning, I can guarantee you. Or you will lose 198,743 items in your lifetime. Do you want to spend your time looking for lost stuff? Do you like that? Get rid of it. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods. In other words, we spend $1.2 trillion on things we do not need. These numbers paint a jarring picture of excessive spending and overconsumption and unnecessary accumulation. And if you think you are slipping away from this culture in this regard, think again. This temptation for us to become materialistic and married to our stuff is rife among us. You see, we don't just have stuff. Our stuff has us. And what's the answer to all this insanity? Because this is insane. Yes, to some extent it's funny. and the other extent, you want to cry. Because this is painstaking. Can I tell you the answer to all this? Jesus and generosity. That's it. Why? Because Jesus is the heart of the giver. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would never die but have eternal life. God is a giver. And if you're a giver, you have the heart of God. You can never outgive God. And can I tell you something? You're most like God when you're giving. That's true about us because God is the giver. So Jesus is the answer, but generosity is the outflowing of the answer. Listen, giving is the only antidote to the idolatry and bondage of materialism. I'm going to revisit a picture in Luke 18. It's the rich young ruler. We talked about this, I think, in week one. And I want to read through this again, and I'm going to take a different angle on it. Okay, So if you want to follow Luke 18, verses 8 through 27. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. Now, this is a little tongue-in-cheek on Jesus' part, because he calls himself the good shepherd. He's saying to him, hey, do you know who I am? Why do you call me good? He said, because God's only good. Do you know that I'm God? Now, this this guy doesn't. This guy doesn't, because he, he just thinks he's a good teacher, like so many people in our culture. We call Jesus a good teacher, but Jesus did not leave room for that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Look, if somebody says stuff like this, either one, they're crazy, crooked, or they're Lord. Those are the three options that you have when you deal with the person of Jesus Christ. Either you can say he's nuts, or you can say he's crooked, he's trying to like shyster people, or you can fall on your face and call him Lord. But he did not leave you room to call him just a good teacher. You see, so this guy comes and says, good teacher, What must I do? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. He said, look, verse 20, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false witness. Honor your father and mother. Verse 21, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, listen, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Verse 23, when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who serve this ask, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Praise be to God that he saves us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to what's going on here. This dude comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's saying, how can I get my life right with God? How can I live rightly with God? Now hear this, the only way for your life to be made right with God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. By grace through faith. Say that after me. By grace through faith. That means it's a gift from God that you receive by faith, nothing that you do and of yourself, not by works that no one should boast. Jesus isn't telling this guy that he's going to get to heaven by obeying a bunch of rules. As a matter of fact, Jesus is preaching law to this man. So this guy will fall on his face before him and acknowledge that he desperately needs a savior. So listen, he lists off some of the law, but only some of the law. Where do these things come from that Jesus says in the scripture? They come from the Ten Commandments, right? These are all part of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is listing them off selectively. He lists number five through nine. I love Jesus. You know why? He's a master at speaking to our hearts. He knows you so perfectly. He knows exactly what you need to hear and when you need to hear it. So he lists off five through nine and this dude is listening and he goes, I'm doing pretty good. I haven't murdered anybody. Uh, I'm doing pretty good with mom and pops. I'm honoring them really well. I haven't cheated on the wifey and I don't really steal anything. So we're doing pretty well. And can I tell you what Jesus is doing? He's setting this guy up. He's setting him up because guy's feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Which ones does he leave out? First one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And in his masterful way, he comes right behind this young man's good feelings and he summarizes all the remaining commands, mainly the first one and the last one, in hitting him straight between the eyes. Jesus zings him in the heart and he says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you have, give the money to the poor and come follow me. Listen, generosity and Jesus. He says, go sell all that you have, be generous and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. This is the invitation of a lifetime for this guy to be free. And he walks away sad. Why? Because he was married to his stuff more than he was married to God. How about you? What if Jesus said to you today, I want you to go home, I want you to sell it all. Give all the money to the poor and come follow me. What would you say? I can tell you on my best days in the Lord, I'd say, Lord, amen, I'm doing it. On my worst days, I would really, really wrestle. Why? Because there's still parts of my soul that are married to my stuff. Now, can I tell you, Tracy and I are joyfully preparing for this special offering here at Grace and we're selling junk. How many people got junk? Uh, we got junk in our house. We had too many vehicles. We sold one of those. Praise the Lord, right? And, and, and I have other stuff that's junk, but I don't see it as junk. Now, all, be, you, know, all you have stuff that's precious to you, right? <laughs> for me, it's little pieces of wood. Why? Because I'm a pen maker, and I haven't made a pen for six months, for crying out loud. But I still have this cabinet downstairs next to all my woodworking tools that has hundreds of pieces of wood in it. And some of this wood is extremely expensive wood. Can I tell you that a little piece like that that's an inch square, I've paid 40 or $50 for a little piece like that. It's called Honduran Rosewood Burl, and it is the most exotic and rarest wood in the entire world. I have a personal relationship with the only distributor in the northern hemisphere of Honduran Rosewood Burl. Are you impressed? So I'm going downstairs, and I know I'm walking down there to the inner sanctum where I keep all these exotic woods, not just HRB. That's the woodworker's term for it. Do you have any HRB? Yeah, I have some. You see, it's like, it's like a prestige thing, HRB. But I have burl. I have all these beautiful exotic burls down there. I have $1,000 worth of wood in that one drawer. And God says, uh, I want you to get rid of it. Well, I don't know, God. It's, it's, I like it. He's <laughs> like, you're not doing anything with it, Jeff. Well, yeah, but I like looking at it. Well, no, God, like, like so I have this conversation with God about this, and I start understanding Gollum a whole lot more. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> How many of you know who Gollum is, right? Yeah, Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, my precious. <laughs> My precious. Call him, call him. Yeah. And I, I start feeling this in my heart. My precious. And I can't part with my precious. What is precious to you? Is there anything you have in your life that you're having a hard time letting go of? That may be an idol. So I got on Facebook last night, snapped some pictures, and I put it in my pen-turning group. All these little pieces of wood. And I talked to people that were just as addicted as I am. I just said, hey, look, you buy this stuff, it's going to a good cause. It's all going to my church. You want to buy it? And people are like, bam, bam, I'll buy it. Oh, my gosh, I'm doing Rosewood Bowl. Like, they're freaking out over this stuff. And Jesus says, take that unrighteous mammon, that stuff that really belongs to me anyway, because I made all the trees, and use it for the purposes of my kingdom, that people would know the love of the Father's heart. Because that's the most important thing that people can ever know is the love of God the Father. And if we can just trust the Lord to use us in that way together, His kingdom will come, His will will be done to a greater extent right here on earth than it is in heaven. What has you? And are you willing to lay it on the altar for the glory of God? Because, folks, you're not taking it with you anyway, and it's just a bunch of junk. Some of you are like, how dare you call my sports car a piece of junk? It's going in a landfill, man. That's where it's going to end up someday. But God calls you to invest in the things that are eternal. Listen to some of the wealthiest and wisest people here. Actually, we're going to look at, actually, in the scripture, the wisest person before Jesus was Solomon. And he happened to be the wealthiest person on the face of the planet. And so um, we're going to take a look at some verses from Ecclesiastes because he was so wealthy, he actually realized that all of it was just a chasing after the wind. We're going to start in verse 10 and read through verse 15, and I want to give you some truths to hold on to here. Verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Truth, the more you have, the more you want. I'm going to say this, and you're going to say it after me. The more I have the more I want. You see, he goes on to say, this too is meaningless. It doesn't really matter how much stuff you have. It says here in verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. Truth, the more you have, the more people who want to come and take it from you, including the government. Anybody say amen to that? So you make more money, guess what? The government takes more money. You make more money, guess what? It's hard to tell who your real friends are. Because as you make more money, there's people that want to be friends of yours for the wrong reasons. If you're dirt poor, you give all that you have to the poor, and you make a friend, that friend is probably a much truer friend. Because they're not coming after you for your money and the stuff that you have. So the more you have, the more people want to come and take it away. He goes on to say, what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The more you have, the more you realize it really does you no good. And Solomon realized that. He realized it was a chasing after the wind. Listen to verse 12. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But as for the rich... Their abundance permits them no sleep at all. Listen, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. The more you have to maintain, the more you have to take care of. Listen to verse 13. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Truth, the more you have, the more you can hurt yourself with what you have. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. The truth, the more you have, the more you have to lose. Verse 15, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Truth, the more you have, the more you will leave behind. As the wealthiest man on earth, Solomon learned that affluence did not satisfy. All it did was give him a greater opportunity to chase more mirages. Do you know what a mirage is? You know what that is in the desert. You're out there and you're in the heat. And you're looking, you're you're thirsting, 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 and you see on the horizon a beautiful lake. And you chase after it only to realize it's just a bunch of dried up sand. It's an illusion. That's what a mirage is. And the reason why we continue in this cycle of materialism and affluence is because we are chasing mirages. problem is most people run out of money before they run out of mirages. And they keep chasing, keep chasing, keep chasing, and they cause great misery for themselves. Listen to W.H. Vanderbilt, one of the wealthiest men. The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. J.D. Rockefeller. I have made millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie. Millionaires seldom smile. John Jacob Astor. I am the most miserable man on the face of the planet. Listen to the words of the infamous Henry Ford. I was happier when I had a mechanic's job. I can ask you, what is the answer to all this bondage and insanity? It's Jesus and generosity. Listen, you only get one shot at this thing called life. The question is, what are you going to invest yourself in? And if you are tied up in this materialistic age that we live in, you cry out to Jesus and trust him to guide you through his word, through his spirit, and through his people, and you will be free. But it will require that you exercise faith and that you let go of what you are holding on to. There's so much freedom in letting Jesus have what already belongs to him anyway. Listen to these words from Matthew 25, verses 34 through 36. Then the king will say to those on his right, come who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Listen, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you gave your time to me. You came and visited me. Then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when thirsty and give you something to drink, when do we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes to close you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these, you've done unto me. Can I tell you something? If you read this book, God has an incredible heart for the poor. And can I tell you something else? If you know who Jesus Christ is, you realize that you are the poor. Apart from him, you have no life. But in him, you have everything. Before you came to him, you were in prison, and he set you free. You were naked in your sinfulness, and he clothed you with his righteousness. You were thirsty for real life, and he gave you something to drink. You were hungry for real food, and he gave you his word. And God says, look, now I want you to show my heart to the world around you, because there are so many people who don't have a relationship with me, and they are poor. And you who are rich, show them my love. Listen, God in his grace swooped down and he gave his very life for you and me. Not only that we would be with him forever, but that you would know your worth, your value, and that you would have restored dignity for the cause of the kingdom. Jesus is all about showing the heart of the Father. Because in the Father's heart is nothing but love for people. Listen to this word from Galatians 6. Oh, sorry. That's not what I wanted to do yet. I don't have a slide for Galatians, but I'm going to read it to you. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a reward if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Can you say that? Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Why? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples and that you love one another. As I have so loved you, now you are to love one another. You see, Jesus is the master of love. I want to show you a little video clip. It's from um, this little app that I have called The Chosen. And this is a clip of Jesus healing a leper. And so you're going to see that Jesus enters into this situation in an incredible way. But one of the things I want you to pay attention to is the change in the disciples' posture and heart from before Jesus heals the leper to after Jesus heals the leper. Because if you want to have a heart of generosity, you need to see what God is doing. Once you see what he is doing, then you will want to join him in what he's doing because it brings great joy to you. It's never been about money, folks. It's always been about God's love. Let's take a look. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 Rabbi. 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 you cannot. L- you. you can... Please. Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding, she told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Ha, <laughs> ha, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. What can I, what can I ever do? Do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor? Please just do me this one thing. Uh, But what do I tell people? Go, show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Uh, uh, Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. Green is definitely your color, (laughs) not too shabby. (laughs) So did you notice the change the disciples went from a very protective keeping mentality, keep away, knife yielding, keep away, keep away, keep away, protective posture. And once they saw what Jesus was doing, did you hear what happened? Did you see what happened when he asked, does anybody have an extra tunic? They were all grabbing why they wanted to play a part. Do you understand you get to play a part? For the kingdom of God in the healing of people's lives Jesus didn't heal this man just physically. He healed him socially. He healed him economically. He restored dignity to this man. He assigned value to him. And every single one, even the littlest one, is so valuable to our Father in heaven. If we'll just trust him to have a heart that shows the Father's love. Today we're going to close with a song that's really a prayer. My wife found this song this week and I was so overwhelmed with it I contacted Leah and asked her if she'd be willing to sing it for us and she so graciously agreed. And I want you to listen to the words of this song as we sing them and I want you to um, let them wash over you and I want you to join in singing as well. But this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to remain seated while we start this and if you believe that this prayer is in your heart, once you hear these words, then I want you to stand. You know what? If you really want to be assertive about this, come down front and stand with me just as an indication that this is the way that you want to live your life. No longer in a materialistic culture for stuff and money, but for the love of the Father that your life would display his heart and in light of what he gave for you, that you would give everything back to him. Lord Jesus, we lift this time to you now. We pray that it would be a time of dedication unto you you love us with open arms. And God, you ask us to have the same open arms to those around us, that we would be filled with kindness and compassion for all those around us, because you love all of us. Lord, in light of what you've given to us, help us to give everything back to you, because frankly, there's just no one else and nothing else worth living for but you and your kingdom. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.